0: Okay. So, hello everyone. Welcome to the Bizier British Chambers of Commerce webinar. I'm Asti, events coordinator at the British Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia. Today, we're very proud to host a special webinar session with Dr. Adam Marshall, the Director General of the British Chambers of Commerce, to discuss the business and trade in the midst and after the COVID-19 crisis. This session will be moderated by Chris Ren, the Executive Director of the British Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia. And now, before we start, allow me to review the functionality of the Zoom webinar. So, please be informed that today's webinar is being recorded and we will be able to share a link with you when it's available after the event is complete all participants will be muted to avoid background noises that may distract you from listening to the webinar and also to enable our speaker to present without interruption we have also activated the Q&A box located at the bottom center of your screen so if you have any questions please type them into the box at any time okay now without further ado i'm going to hand the floor over to Chris Ren who is going to start today's webinar. Please, please.
1: Thank you very much for that introduction and for the protocols, ASTI. Um, oh, although Bizia, Britain in Southeast Asia, is more than 12 years old, there still t- seem to be a lot of stakeholders that uh, aren't really sure what it is. Um, Bizia is an informal grouping of eight of the 10 countries comprising ASEAN, established a meeting usually at least twice yearly and for the purpose of sharing best practice and also reciprocal member privileges and approaches to mutual, mutual issues as well. Each of the eight chambers or the business groups are also a part of the Overseas Business Network that provides market access support to British SMEs. Each is a member also of the British Chambers of Commerce Global Network. Uh, BritCham Indonesia is presently the co-chair with Myanmar and it's in that capacity and it's my privilege to welcome uh, to this webinar the the boards, my fellow executive directors, um, special category members and sponsors and our invited guests from Cambodia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Myanmar, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand and Vietnam, and some of our important stakeholders that are in the United Kingdom as well. It's my particular pleasure to welcome a gentleman who's extremely busy during uh, times of business as usual, uh, and absolutely run ragged at this particular exceptional phase that we're all going through. So to set the scene on challenges in progress, uh, new challenges that are emerging, and the special roles of chambers in the UK and globally. Um, A special welcome from me to Director General of the British Chambers of Commerce, Dr. Adam Marshall. Adam.
2: Uh, Good afternoon to colleagues across Southeast Asia. It's a real pleasure to be here with you all today. Um, Obviously, we are facing some unprecedented challenges in the world of business and trade. Uh, We're facing them in a fairly asymmetrical way as well, with different countries facing some of the peaks and spikes in this issue um, at different times to others. And of course, we're also seeing differential responses from public health authorities, from regulators, uh, from customs and trade officials, and so much more. So it is a complex time, as Chris says, for all of us in business, but it's also a time when I feel we have never actually been more connected as British business communities. Um, the British Chambers Network in the UK, all 53 chambers with uh, 75,000 businesses in membership and six million employees between them, have never felt more connected in many ways to the British Chambers <clears throat> and business groups all around the world. So with 60 markets now around the world, what we've used this time to do is to make sure that we have great links and that we can start to bring businesses together so that as trade routes open up again and widen again, we can resume and in fact, enhance the flow of trade between our countries. So out of challenge, perhaps there will be future opportunity. Uh, but in setting the scene today, I wanted to alight on a few things about what's going on here in the UK, um, make a couple of comments about the policy environment that we find ourselves in, and then I look forward with Chris to taking some of the questions that have been submitted by colleagues uh, and also to having a wider conversation about the trade and economic relationship between the UK and markets across Southeast Asia. So just to begin, in terms of the business environment at the moment here in the UK. Um, The way I like to characterize it is that about a third of the UK economy is operating more or less as normal. Another third of the UK economy is operating, but with significant restrictions. And the final third, unfortunately, is currently shut down because of the nationwide lockdown, which has been in place uh, now for over five weeks. Um, An official review of that lockdown is due next week, on the 7th of May. Um, It is my belief that it will not be substantially changed at that point in time because the number of cases that we're seeing in the UK still remains high and there are still some unanswered questions about whether releasing a lockdown would lead to a second and unwanted peak, uh, like those seen in, in, in many nations around the world who have already loosened restrictions. Um, And I think that there's still a lot of questions circulating around the UK government about the scale and staging of any release as and when it starts to happen. Um, We in the British Chambers of Commerce uh, and indeed many of our major companies here in the UK are heavily engaged in those discussions. Um, Right now, they are centering around what needs to be done in order to make workplaces uh, travel to work. Um, uh, childcare provision and other things uh, as as integrated and as clear as possible so that employers and employees alike can guarantee the safety of their people. Um, If I were to make a comment about what I see here in the UK versus what I have seen in other uh, countries, um, we are perhaps feeling our way through this a bit more uh, than some other countries are which have put very definitive plans in place. Um, Adjustments are being made um, on a, a case-by-case basis and bit-by-bit and uh, looking at learning from international experience rather than a single centralized clear plan which is being sort of given over to businesses and the economy. Now that has its benefits because it allows flexibility and adjustment, it has its dis as well um, because businesses aren't necessarily sure what it is that they can do at a particular moment in time, nor do they have the forward gov- uh, forward guidance that they really require um, in order to start planning for a staged reopening. So one of the things that we've been asking for in recent weeks is for some forward guidance, uh, an understanding of what the time points would be at which specific shifts could happen um, to allow businesses time to plan for either a reopening or a reintensification of their activities um, with the appropriate warning and notice. Economically, right now, uh, the situation is uh, difficult uh, with so many companies. Uh, unable to, to work at full capacity, we're seeing very severe cash flow issues amongst many firms and that goes through from some of the smallest to some of the very largest. Uh, you may have seen, for example, that amongst uh, very large firms uh, in the aviation sector, for example, and some parts of the manufacturing industry, there are significant difficulties challenges to resilience, challenge to just-in-time models, and of course, challenge to the entire way certain industries work. Um, At the smaller and medium-sized business end, cash is also a major consideration. Um, We are now running a uh, business impacts tracker at the BCC on UK businesses, uh, and our results are showing consistently that about 60% of firms responding have less than three months cash reserves available to them so many many firms across the uk extremely vulnerable to uh, another sudden shock um, and many worrying significantly about where their future revenues are going to come from uh, as we exit from this situation um there are government programs that have been put in place in the uk i just want to comment on those briefly if i may um, the first is a significant program of loans to businesses um, that ranges from commercial paper at the very large business end uh, for investment grade firms uh, through to some very significant loans uh, for companies uh, in the sort of mid cap range uh, through to a, a, a more retail program of, of small business loans where uh, government pays the interest um, rates and there are no capital repayments for the first 12 months. Uh, Many of these have been slow to get moving in comparison with some other countries. Um, We've been tracking very carefully the the quantum of loans that have been issued and also the number of applications that have been processed and they don't compare particularly favorably to, to some other markets around the world. Um, so we lobbied very hard, for, for example, at the very smallest end for a program of uh, loans to micro-businesses, which is called bounce-back loans. Um, and these have a 100% government guarantee on them and a very simple due diligence process. So much different to what we have been seeing uh, in some of the other more complex products over recent weeks. The second big program, which I think is the one that will make the biggest difference to UK businesses, is the government's furlough scheme, they call it the job retention scheme, which allows businesses to put their workers on uh, extended leave at 80% of salary, up to uh, £2,500 per month. Um, We're seeing about 76% of chamber member companies responding to our surveys saying that they're going to take this up in some fashion, whether it's to, to, to put a few people on furlough or indeed their entire workforce. So far, this program is working relatively smoothly. We have our eye on whether payments are being made to the companies affected because that, of course, will be hugely important to determining um, whether it's functioning for the medium to long term. Finally, there are also a series of grants available. Uh, many of these are for companies in the retail, hospitality and leisure sectors, which have been the most affected. Um, we think those probably need to be expanded and that there is going to need to be additional grants, support and tax holidays for a number of businesses. Um, you know, one, one issue which affects businesses trading between Southeast Asia and the UK in particular, where we've been lobbying hard, um, is around a deferral of import VAT. Uh, we don't want anyone sending uh, goods to the uk and importing goods into the uk to be facing a vat bill when those goods hit the port we think you should be able to defer that in order to manage cash flow and that's one of our big international trade asks just at the moment so coming on to the trade agenda more generally, I mean, what is uh, really amazing in these times uh, is that it has been the British Chambers of Commerce global network which has enabled us to put so much intelligence in to UK government. Learning from all of your experiences, having been a few weeks ahead of Europe and the UK uh, in terms of your experience of the pandemic has been absolutely vital. Um, and many colleagues uh, perhaps on the call today or across both Southeast Asia and the wider Asian region have been instrumental in helping us to understand some of the key challenges um, and to make some of the right calls in terms of our interaction with UK government. Uh, to give you an example, you know, just last night, I was talking to a senior UK cabinet minister about uh, PPE, uh, personal protective equipment, and was able to raise some of the issues and challenges that had come through from British chambers across Asia in this respect. Um, And having that extra insight has been hugely, hugely important to us as we try to advise the UK government on how to support businesses um, and how to source the necessary protective equipment, both for the health service and for the economy more generally. Um, In terms of our work shaping the trade agenda, um, you know, we've got this rapidly growing uh, international ecosystem of British companies, trusted business connections now all around the world. Um, and we are using those connections and the expertise from chambers uh, to try to shape the future of UK trade policy. Just last week, um, we had a webinar with the Secretary of State for International Trade, Liz Truss, um, and we we were talking about diversification of supply chains and resilience in supply chains, and also some of the future trade agenda. Um, The UK government's position, as the Secretary of State said, um, was that, in the Brexit transition would come to an end on the 31st of December, as uh, has been planned for some time. The government has not moved from that position, even though there it probably split views in the business community about whether the 31st of December should go ahead um, uh, or whether there should be some sort of extension to that transition period. So the government's been very firm in saying that that will still be the case, that we will leave the single market and customs union area on the 31st of December. Um, and uh, the Secretary of State was also saying that, 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 that they're working continuously on trying to get continuity agreements in place with those markets where those are still required and to prepare uh, with by JETCOs and others for, for trade negotiations with a number of other markets. One thing that we have been urging, uh, and I think this is in line with what BISIA uh, chambers and business groups have been saying is that the UK's emphasis in looking at future trade arrangements shouldn't just be on a very small number of large markets, that actually there are significant opportunities um, in in markets around the world and a significant amount of goodwill towards the UK that could translate to swift agreement um, and swift improvement of trade conditions with some of those other markets. and you know, a number of you have been in touch with us to say that your markets in particular would, would, would benefit from uh, enhanced or, or even further deepened trade relationships with the UK. And we've been transmitting that very clearly through to the Department for International Trade um, and to others. Uh, and I, I think there is an appreciation of the fact that uh, a, a diversified set of UK supply chains building on markets all around the world um, will be important in the new normal because, of course, we're not going to go back to uh, a form of globalization where companies have really long supply chains and sort of single sourcing arrangements with just in time uh, delivery. Uh, that's not likely to work uh, as the economy comes back together. So we will need to have a set of alternatives instead of um, sort of backups in place in many places. Um, we think that um, Chambers can also play a huge role in terms of the promotion of uh, uh, international trade uh, between the UK and other markets in future uh, through both this challenging period of pandemic and beyond. Um, and what we're trying to do right now is to work with the busier Chambers and with the rest of the global network around creating a framework for trade promotion and connectivity for businesses that are members of any business, uh, sorry, any chamber in the BCC network. Uh, We want to have a clear outline of what every market has to offer and how uh, a a British chamber, for example, here in the UK can assist a member of a British chamber overseas and vice versa to drive business support by business for business. So that will be very high on our agenda as well over uh, the months ahead. Um, So that's a little bit on where the UK economy is right now and a little bit as well on uh, where we see uh, the market going uh, and where we see the chambers going. Chris, I hope that's okay by way of introduction. I look forward to uh, having a conversation with you and to taking questions
1: from attendees. Indeed Adam, Uh, thank you very much for that um, scene setting and uh, just to concur and endorse uh, your statement that um, The the global network has never been closer to the British Chambers of Commerce and the UK network and uh, this can only uh, bode well for future support of British exporters and trade in the future. Um, Adam, I know that uh, at relatively short notice you've been called in to give evidence at a Commons Committee and that means that you have to leave us at uh, 9.15 UK time, uh, which gives us about another 20, 25 minutes. Um, you, in your 20 minutes, you, you, you raised a number of points, a few of which um, we should try to develop a little bit further, I think. Um, what I'll also try to do is to bundle together some, some, some of the questions that have been raised um, more conversationally. Um, You referred to this a few days ago, you hosted a chat with Secretary of State, uh, Liz Truss, and many among our membership were also represented uh, on that particular call. Um, Liz Truss um, seemed to acknowledge that the UK was not as prepared or as coordinated to support British exporters and particularly um, SMEs. She implied um, that either or both of UK Export Finance and DIT weren't perhaps properly resourced to meet the challenges um, uh, and alluded to an innovation that could be on the way from UK Export Finance that could be rolled out soon and could make a huge difference to um, address some of the challenges, uh, particularly of financial support. So Adam, if I may bundle the, the, the questions related to this. Um, firstly, Um, In in terms of the BCC, is it pushing Secretary of State to to roll out this this new initiative and other new initiatives to support export competitiveness? Um, If it is the case that success of anything new is incumbent uh, on the right regional resources, is there a role for the Bezier Chambers as supporting players on the ground? How could we take this further? Well,
2: thanks, Chris. Um, It's a complicated set of questions. I think going back to the discussion with the Secretary of State, um, she said that the Department was currently doing three things. One, dealing with the response to the pandemic. Uh, The second, looking at the transition uh, arrangements for Brexit and the continuity agreements with other markets around the world. And the third, sort of looking to the future and to how UK trade could be further strengthened. I think looking toward the future, the UK is going to have to put a lot more money into its international trade and export promotion operations than it does at present, given the importance of building up our links with other markets uh, around the world. Uh, We do this, uh, relatively speaking, on a shoestring compared to many other countries. I think one of the big challenges as we come out of the the, the sort of initial um, economic shock around the pandemic will be whether government commitment to putting additional resources into trade will be forthcoming. So much money has been spent literally holding up the economy and preventing uh, collapse of many industries that I you know I, I think there's going to be a very serious reckoning in terms of. What budgets are available, what current spending is available, et cetera, in the years to come. Um, So we will have to fight quite hard to keep uh, international trade and resources for international trade high on the agenda. Um, The expansion, the further expansion of UK export finance remains an important goal uh, for us. Um, One of the issues we've seen over the years is that UK export finance has largely supported. Um, quite a lot of bigger companies or bigger deals um, and has very slowly got back into the SME market over the last decade. We would like to see that that role in supporting SMEs and in supporting trade uh, extended. So being able to provide more working capital, uh, export credit insurance and trade credit uh, facilities, bonds, et cetera, et cetera, will be, will be really important, we think. And we want to get it as an export credit agency, um, You know, firing on absolutely all cylinders. It's hugely, hugely improved over the years with input from all of us, but we think that it can do even more to be part of that ecosystem of support for SMEs um, and to bring its firepower to bear to support SMEs uh, as well. Um, I think there is a question here about how uh, Whitehall and UK government are organised in future, uh, having trade sort of in a silo on its own um, means it can somehow be dis- sometimes be disconnected from some of the other major economic decision making that goes on uh, around the economy. Finding a way to bring together trade, uh, international development. Uh, business and, and and sort of supply chains and sectoral initiatives etc cetera, etc cetera, more closely in terms of economic thinking will be a key priority uh, as we come out of uh this particular uh, uh shock um and i think that if we are successful in doing so then the trade agenda that the busier chambers are so interested in and that we are so interested in becomes more center stage so we will be working on that behind the scenes uh, over the months and years ahead uh, finally, Chris, you know, on the role that you mentioned for the Bissier Chambers in future delivery of trade support, we want all British chambers around the world to be able to play a role in delivering business-to-business support on the ground and to be the place where UK companies go uh, when they uh, land in a new market. Uh, working together with uh, DIT posts in every country, but perhaps splitting responsibilities Um, and we'd like to see that chambers have that opportunity to be the sort of go-to point for many of those businesses and also that they're resourced appropriately in order to do so.
1: Um, Thanks very much for that. Um, I I think I'm going to uh, move to one of those uh, familiar subjects but again a number of questions around this the frustrations because opportunities seem to be missed. And I'm referring to the issues around aid and trade that frustrate the Chambers of Commerce. Um, We are a reliable aid donor uh, through DFID. Um, And and while the Germans and the Japanese, for example, uh, to name just two, make sure that money spent in aid is also an investment in the manufacturing and service providers, hence an investment uh, in export. However, it seems that Diffid's hands are tied by, uh, by law, which prohibits linkage uh, aid with trade. Um, Nicholas Ramsden, who's uh, on the board of Myanmar, points out that Boris Johnson uh, seemed to be in support of the Jackson Society Review. Uh, that seems to point to a need to an overhaul of the legal infrastructure around UK government aid. Um, other chamber representatives also point out that we continue to miss out on enormous opportunities in this way and as an if uh, it is is often the case that the trade and sorry trade and trade support um, can be can be brought together with aid we we could find ourselves competing in the same game with the same rules rather than under different rules which is is often the case for us so does the bcc have a view on this um could the bcc work with its global chamber network to provide evidence-based and structured input to enthuse boris johnson uh, for continued support of this review thanks chris um I I do know that the the review is set to
2: continue, but I think its timelines are likely to slip somewhat given that the resources at the heart of government have had to focus on the response to the pandemic and the economic shock that's resulted from it. But that doesn't mean that it it won't happen. Uh, And we are keen to engage with it when it does, because we've recognized for a number of years from across the British Chamber Network around the world some of the frustrations uh, regarding the disconnect between initiatives uh, from DFID, from DIT and from the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and how the different objectives don't necessarily always intersect uh, to the benefit and to the interest of uh, UK trade and UK industry. Um, So, yes, we will engage with it very definitely. I think what we need from across the British Chamber Network around the world are case studies and examples of where things work and where they don't work, because one of the most effective tools we have had at our disposal over the years to convince the UK government to make policy changes have been real world examples on the ground. So if you believe that that disconnect has led to British companies or British trades uh, losing potential custom in your market, we need to know about it. Um, and we, you know examples can be sent to policy at britishchambers.org.uk. We're collecting via that inbox um, as many case studies as we can on this and a number of other issues. Uh, but also, if you're in a market where you believe that those initiatives have intersected well and where you have seen positive moves on aid and international development intersect with real opportunities for UK business um, and, and where both sides have come up with a win. Um, we, we need to know about those as well because it's through those practical examples that our global network is able to inform both the review and the future shape of UK policy. But Chris, I think I'd agree both with Nicholas Ramsden and with, with many others who've mentioned this over the years um, that that disconnect has grown rather large Um, and it has led to some suboptimal results, if I was going to be polite, um, for for UK trade Um, uh, and and has left a number of frustrated businesses, not just
1: around the global network, but here in the UK as well. We are British, one needs to be polite, Adam. Thank you. Um, So the message is very clear and I think um, we can certainly put it on our agenda as a grouping uh, to make sure we provide some sort of evidence for you of, as you say, those uh, uh, those examples of where things work, where things don't work, where opportunities in particular have been missed. Um, and again, moving to opportunities and again, multiple questions from around the region from colleagues, Adam, uh, relates to education. Um, Brand Britain has a fantastic uh, reputation overseas, in particular in Asia and in ASEAN, and our education is a great export. Um, Each of the busier countries sends students, uh, they have franchises, maybe in operation, and there are many, many collaborations. And everyone was delighted with the announcement for the reintroduction of the student visa extension for two years. Uh, to allow graduating students to stay on and get some work experience Um, but we understand that this hasn't yet been passed into law um, but it will be a great boost and great competitive advantage uh, as and when it can be uh, because it's not just the sale of education of course but these people staying on and getting embedded with uh, British and international companies provides opportunities to deepen relationships with our various host nations uh, because these are the future generations of captains of industry, policy makers and so on. So are are you able to share with us at what stage you understand government is with this um, and how high is this on the BCC trade advocacy agenda? Thanks, Chris. Um, The the immigration
2: system, the UK immigration system, is one of those issues that brings the UK and global chamber networks together uh, very strongly because we all share the same interests in having that system be as open um, and as liberal as possible to encourage uh, the, the flow of skills. Um, some of the industries like education that you mentioned previously. Um, And we've been working extensively with the Home Office and with the Migration Advisory Committee, which is the expert committee drawing up uh, the final uh, proposals to put to ministers as they finalize the blueprint for the new UK uh, immigration system. And my colleague, Jake Grattan on our team, literally is in and out of meetings with the Home Office on migration on a day-to-day basis. Um, Like you, We were hugely, hugely pleased uh, to see that all of our advocacy over the years led to the reintroduction of the study work route uh, across the UK. We literally have been banging on about this for a very, very long time. Um, You know, in the knowledge that many of those individuals, as you say, become ambassadors for the UK after working in the UK for a period and become some of the, the, the strongest advocates of international trade between the UK and their countries. Um, So we were pleased to see that. Um, But what we're we're wondering about now is whether the timeline for the whole of the new immigration system, which is due to be in place for the first of January next year, can still be maintained um, in, in the wake of everything else. And we're trying urgently to get some clarity on it. The Home Office insists that it's still the case that it's going to move to the new system in in January. That would mean uh, that they are planning to ensure the legislation that enables it gets through in time, and that would guarantee the study work route that you mentioned uh, right at the beginning. Just to be clear, I have absolutely no concerns that the study work route will somehow be removed from the new immigration system or affected in the new system. That doesn't worry me in the slightest. There's an absolute commitment to it from uh, senior ministers downward, and we've we've had reassurance after reassurance that 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 is going to be the case. If anything, I think the pandemic has, uh, you know, led many of us to ask the government whether it wants to be quite as strict on lower and moderately skilled workers who are doing so many of the essential services jobs in the UK right now uh, as they were previously. Um, And we'll continue to engage on that particular issue. Um, But I I am not concerned um, about the study to work route. And I'm also very pleased that it includes the possibility for individuals who are using that visa also to, to look at options to switch to other visa categories as well thereafter. Um, my hope is that this new immigration system, whilst the rhetoric around it is um, pretty strong, actually proves to be quite flexible. And I think that there is a strong possibility that that will be the case.
1: Um, thank you very much, uh, Adam. I think that's very encouraging for all of us. As you say, it is, uh, it's one of those, Opportunities that binds us all together. Um, there have been a number of responses from right across our region in relation to the Liz Trust presentation and uh, and your take on it and suggestions of how that might go go forward. Um, I've had a conversation with somebody at UK Export Finance in in between time, and I'm led to believe, if I understand things correctly that she might have jumped the gun just a little bit in announcing what UK export finance might be about to let go of. Um, They aren't quite ready, um, but I think, um, I just like to reassure colleagues that the inputs that have come in via questions, uh, we will find a way of feeding into uh, one of the regional Stakeholders for UK export finance. So I I won't labour that point with you again and uh, go over those questions um, again. Um, Adam, I think I heard you mention the B word just once and fleetingly. Um, Clearly, for uh, ASEAN countries, um, everybody's very, very excited that there is opportunity in Brexit because it provides. Um, a a movement or dilution of emphasis from Europe to other markets that perhaps we should have been working a lot more um, rigorously in any way. Um, Could you just please share a sense of where you think we are with Brexit and whether there are any impacts, positive or negative, uh, uh, by way of fallout from the COVID crisis we find ourselves in? Yes.
2: I, I, I mean, the, the big question right now, Chris, is around uh, timeline. Is the 31st of December still going to be the date that everything changes? Or is that date going to change? And it's, it's a hugely live debate at Westminster right now. Um, and you're seeing some of the camps from the referendum debate reforming uh, around whether the transition should be extended or not. And the key question that's being asked is, Whether um, in the event that no deal can be reached between the two sides, um, whether another economic shock on top of the coronavirus economic shock is uh, either desirable or acceptable uh, for for business and for the economy to bear. We're seeing two schools of thought come up uh, from amongst the chamber membership in the UK. One is um, that absolutely the transition period must be extended because we cannot have a second economic shock so closely to the first. The second school of thought that we hear from a, a much smaller group, but, uh, but, but if we do hear it, um, is that if global international trade volumes are down 30 to 40%, as they seem to be at the moment, and you're contemplating a disconnection of, of, of uh, longstanding uh, trade preferences, that um, actually that would be the ideal moment to do it because you'd probably be able to manage disruption better than you would if trade flows were at 100%. Um, So we've heard both of those sorts of uh, analyses. Um, You know, the government is still very firm in saying we're going on the 31st of December, we are continuing the negotiations with the EU. And as all of us who've been in commercial negotiations know, there there is no point in deviating from that line and so that you can see where where you can get to because you've got a deadline and you've got some tension uh, in the system. But we would need, I think, in business to be reassured that more progress is being made uh, on this. Um, right now, the two sides are having uh, sporadic uh, video negotiating rounds, uh, and both are coming away and saying that the other is being intransigent. We're still in a period of shadow boxing, and I think there are some critical moments ahead in May and June, uh, because, of course, by the end of June, that decision on transition extension uh, must be taken.
1: Okay, um, th- thank you very much for that. Um... The, the questions that are coming in seem to really focus on the development uh, or an understanding that the development of the relationship between the British Chambers of Commerce UK network and um, the global network uh, is, is pivotal to being able to provide proper support to the right companies that want to access our various markets. Um, Adam, how can you suggest that the Bezier, Chambers of Commerce and business groups uh, can have more impact on, on accelerating those relationships um, in the UK. How can we use the BCC better? What can we do for you? Well, I think one thing that we can do together
2: uh, over the coming years, and you know, given the change in working arrangements that we've all seen uh, over the past few months as a result of the pandemic, is starting to build a program of virtual trade missions together um, and getting companies together from the busier markets with uh, British companies in the regions uh, around the UK on a virtual basis. Um, We may find actually as many of us have in terms of our productivity uh, with uh, sort of virtual ways of working that we can do things faster, more cheaply and better and still get some of the confidence and some of the interaction that we need in order to see more businesses trading with each other. That's one practical example of what we, could, we can do um, as we seek to, to, to build a new and different trading relationship uh, over time. Um, we at the BCC will continue to advocate for the role of global British Chambers of Commerce in the delivery system, in, in being part of the, 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 the group of organizations and institutions that are really advocating for two-way trade between the UK uh, and other markets. Um, I think it, it's fair to say that the, the the DIT and other government departments will be in flux in terms of their offer. Some of the procurements and some of the uh, uh, setups that they thought that they would be putting in place will probably change even more. Uh, in light of uh, the, the the pandemic. But that gives us again the opportunity to say that, that Chambers are the natural partner, the bridge uh, between markets. And I, I think we'll be able to say that even more strongly than before when we demonstrate everything that we've done to support trade and our respective networks through this really difficult period.
1: Thank you, Adam. Uh, a question come in from one of our colleagues with DIT within the Northern Powerhouse. Um, r- rather than, as is sometimes the case, as swimming against the tide, um, what do you sense as the British Chambers of Commerce are those areas of export strength that we should focus on uh, post-COVID and um, really hit the ground running in terms of uh, getting our exports going and the support that the Chambers can provide to those sectors?
2: Well, it's a it's a it's a brilliant question, um, and I and I think that's right. Where are our where are our comparative advantages, and how do we use them? Business and government working together to try to 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 push them uh, in, in into new markets. Um, the thing that immediately comes into my mind in the wake of what we've been seeing with COVID nineteen is is UK services, um, because one of the things that we've realised through this period is that a it's possible to deliver many services virtually or digitally in a face-to-face manner, um, that the country of establishment matters less in the delivery of those services because no one is flying somewhere else to deliver the service on the ground in another market. So perhaps some of the constraints and non-tariff barriers are lessened uh, than, than they might be in, in, in some other situations. So I think services are a real opportunity um, as, as we come out of this and you know, bringing the ingenuity of British companies that are thinking, okay, we have a slightly more constrained world. We have less international travel perhaps than we may have had uh, in recent years, et cetera, et cetera. What can we do um, in order to get our products into markets? And you know, one example that comes to my mind endlessly is the Doncaster Education uh, Company um, that uh, became the major supplier to the Malaysian government for educational software for schools um you know those are the kinds of opportunities where i think we can expand rather significantly over the years ahead and that would be the area i'd focus on
1: um mindful of time i think we've got about four minutes um traditionally over recent years the uk has focused when looking even outside europe on china and india What is your take on Southeast Asia as a region, a 670 million block? Um, How can we better promote it uh, as a realistic alternative of great opportunity to China and India? Because we feel as though attention and investment has been underplayed. Well,
2: I mean, I always take it's not either or, it's both. Um, You know, the giants uh, of Asia, China and India will be, of course, hugely important to UK trade in future. But what we say to UK government over and over again is that some of the markets that want to do more business with us, that are so excited about doing more business with us are, in fact, in Southeast Asia. And you know we've seen the appetite of so many uh, governments and business communities across your region um, for for more trade with the UK, and and we've tried to promote it as much as much as we can, and we try to promote, as you say, the region as a whole because it is an economic powerhouse as a whole, and you know you look at the individual countries within it, and many of them are economic powerhouses within their own right, so it's finding ways to I think promote the opportunity that's in the region together and why it's good for the UK economy that's got to be at the core of our message together over the coming months and coming years.
1: Thank you, uh, Adam. Two comments in from companies trying to export PPE that they can't get hold of the Spire helpline, uh, which is the helpline meant to support them in knowing what to do, how to do and everything else. Perhaps somebody in your team could be aware of that. Um, I, uh, w- with that, Adam, I, I think um, out of respect to you and your commitment to, to join on time, the Common Select uh, Committee meeting, giving evidence, it sounds like you're in the dock, Indeed. Um, uh, then I, I just like to take this opportunity of uh, thanking you very much for sharing time, which is very much at a premium um, with the Bezier Group. Uh, boards, uh, executive teams, members, and stakeholders, we we really do appreciate it. Um, on behalf of my colleagues, uh, once again, I can endorse that there has been a huge and positive ex- escalation in the levels of communication, activity, sharing, and so on um, among the UK and overseas global network. It's been particularly helpful to us as a region to be talking to our colleagues Uh, facilitated by um, Anne-Marie and your team uh, with the likes of China, Hong Kong and Korea who are a couple of months probably ahead of most of our countries in Southeast Asia and and just learning what post-Covid environment might look like, what it might mean and us being able to benefit from what's worked from them and what we should perhaps put uh, less emphasis and resources into. Um, Adam, our assurance, as as always, of uh, continued cooperation, collaboration, coordination, and support. We know we have it from you. Um, on behalf of uh, my colleagues, the eight chambers and business groups from around the region, call ourselves Britain in Southeast Asia or um, thank you very much for joining us. A reassurance to people whose questions could not be answered. Thank you for putting those questions in and we will, uh, we will collate and share. And If a separate answer is appropriate, then you will get one. Uh, once again, thank you. Uh, good evening to everybody in Southeast Asia. Good morning to everybody in the UK. And uh, we, we look forward to perhaps one of our other colleagues picking up on another regional BCO group webinar in the near future. Adam, to you, your team, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, everybody.